0: Yeah, but I will sleep in Guelph jammies for at least a week if it's a sweep. Oh,
1: man. Send for the jammies. Hashtag GoGriffinsGo.
0: If there aren't Guelph jammies, I will just take one of my (laughs) T-shirts and I will take a red marker and I will spell Guelph on it. (laughs) G-W-E-L-F.
1: Can we all tell you went to Western?
0: Oh, Jeff. Yes? Guess what I'm getting a lot of tweets and direct messages about <laughs> jammies guelph pajamas griffin's
1: jammies baby go griffs go do even such things exist no you know why because uh amal and i were texting tonight and then when we got on the call here for the podcast amal said he'd been looking for them and they don't exist but there are onesies that exist, and he's wondering if they can make an adult <laughs> size don't onesie. I think I'm going
0: to fit into a onesie. <laughs> so I told, uh, I told the group, the, I made the mistake of telling everybody else about this today, as Tampa was closing it out in the third period, and Cassie yeah. was very excited, because she's, well, she's a Guelfer, too. She was raised properly, that's right, yes, yes. She's a Griffin, she's a Griffin, yeah. And good. Kevin's like, I always figured you as someone who would sleep in the nude. I was like what, Kevin, what am I supposed to do with that?
1: <laughs> By the way, I was mentioning to and I haven't told him why. I don't like this. Don't like what? The whole idea that you're going to you're going to sleep in Guelph Griffin's jammies. Okay. I don't like this and he, and here's why. Because it wasn't a real bet. It was just something you said. There was no like tension. Like I put nothing on the line here. That's why I don't like this. Like I I'm more than happy to call this off right now, but make this part of a bet somewhere down the line because it's not a bet. It's just you said that you would do this if this happened. What should have followed is, and I'll put something on the line as well. Otherwise, there's no tension. There's no tension here at all. That's why I don't like it. I understand what no, you're saying,
0: but no, no, no Jeff, Jeff, you have to understand it, it's no longer about me and you, right? It's about the audience. <laughs> and if I'm getting tweets and direct messages, it's because uh, I get it. people want it. Everything I've done in this while we've been working during the pandemic, is supposed to be fun for the audience. It's been a really challenging time. Yeah, I've tried to make it fun for people. If they're into this and reminding us of this, I mean, it was stupid. I shouldn't have said it. I did say it. It's dumb. It's stupid. But we're not running away from it. It's that No, simple.
1: listen. I've spent a lot of nights while you're on television when I get texts from people saying, what is up with Elliot's fill-in-the-blank, whatever it is, hair usually... I always say like this guy's trying to entertain people and make them laugh. This guy's having a good laugh at himself and letting people laugh at the same time. So I get all that. And, and this is part of it. So of course I'm going to go along with it. All, maybe all I'm saying is I'm not going to take as much, maybe this is why I don't like it. I'm not going to take as much delight in seeing it if it does happen. And let's, let's say it looks like it's going to be a sweep, but there's still another game here at least one more game here. And this is, you know, a team that is quite proud and I'm sure it's a team that doesn't want to see the Stanley cup paraded on their home ice, but I'm not going to take any delight in it, or I won't take as much delight in seeing it as if I had put something up as well. I can't do a victory lap over it. essentially is what I'm saying. So maybe selfishly, I don't like this because I can't take any delight in it because I didn't get taken off the hook by it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Jeff, it's you're just, overthinking okay, Elliot's it. Elliot's going to do it. Okay, Elliot's going to do it. Nah, everything is tension and release. Tension and release. Tension and release.
0: You're overthinking it.
1: All right. All right. Uh, here we go. Tampa 6, Montreal 3. Tampa takes a commanding 3 nothing lead. Dom Ducharme returns uh, behind the bench for the Montreal Canadiens for the second game in a row. No Alex Killorn. 3,500 proud and loud
0: uh, at the Bell Center. By the way, do you wonder at all if there were more than 3,500 people there? <laughs> uh i was gonna get to that
1: it's funny you should mention that because i did write down like right beside on my note here it says 3500 and then in brackets is a i just put a question mark because it looked and sounded like more than 3500 people i just want you were there can you count houses are you old school wrestler who can walk to the ring and count the house and know what his payoff is
0: I was once told by a friend of mine who uh, used to work in police yep. that I was the worst crowd counter of anyone he ever met.
1: Yeah, I'm pretty bad at it too. I'm, I'm really yes, bad at it.
0: Yes, I was terrible at estimating crowds. However, that looked, never mind what it sounded like, it sounded fantastic. That looked to me like more than 3,500 people.
1: Okay, so the game gets kicked off by a couple of quick goals by the Tampa Bay Lightning, Jan Ruda, Victor Hedman, 2 nothing, and then Dom Ducharme calls a timeout. Three minutes and 30 seconds in to calm everyone down. Phillip Deneau scores.
0: There's a line that's been called on to try to get some offense. If you're not going to have a checking game, you got to get it the other end. Transition game here. A good save by Price. But watch the middle of the ice. This is Gallagher who creates so much of this. Coming to the net.
1: You know that gets into the head of Vasilevsky. He's got some arc with him. And this
0: little quick wrister up and over the blocker and off the post and in. We saw Caulfield earlier go off the post and up the other
1: side. His first. That cuts the lead in half. And we go to the first intermission. What did you think of? I want to go period by period with this on you. What did you make of the first? You were there. Your thoughts.
0: It was really amazing. The place was so wired. You know that Montreal puts on a great show. Everybody was excited and three and a half minutes in, it's two nothing. Yeah. Tampa came ready to play. And you and I had talked about this, and I think I mentioned it in just about every interview I did in the in the forty-eight hours leading up to game three. The Lightning were going to be juiced to play that game. I mean, we all knew Montreal was going to be excited. They were at home. It was their first Stanley Cup game at the Bell Center. The fans were going to be lined up outside. It was going to be crazy. Their home down 2-0. We all know that. But you look at all the Quebec connections on the Lightning. Oh, yeah. In the front office, on the ice, you know, you replace one injured Quebecer, Alex Killorn, with another one, Matthew Joseph. To me, the most interesting one, and I showed it at the end of the, in the first intermission, So all the Tampa guys are getting booed when they're being introduced, and they're all stone-faced, except when they go to Sergachev, and he has this smirk on his face. And he's, of course, got the connection, too. He was drafted by the Canadians. And I looked at that, and I said, they're ready to play. Like, sometimes you try to read someone's emotions, and it can go totally flat. But the moment that happened, I actually asked our producers to keep that shot for me, because I said, these guys are ready to play, and in one of the few instances, I was actually right about something. I just think Tampa—they're not only a good team, they're a high IQ team, and they're well coached. And they know what Montreal is going to do, and they attack it. They say this is how we're going to stop it, or this is how we're going to attack it. You know, like Kevin talked about, in Montreal packs it in very tight. So guys like Ruda and Hedman, they know what to do, and they score the first two goals. I just think. Again, Tampa is proving that anything you, any way you want to play, anything you want to try, we're going to be able to handle it. And we thought Montreal was going to come out and blow off the barn doors tonight. Tampa's like, nope, not happening. We're shutting it down.
1: You know what I thought of when I saw that smirk from Sergachev? What's that? A conversation that I had with Rocky Thompson when he coached the Windsor Spitfires. So Sergachev was their top defenseman. Everyone in Windsor used to say the same thing. Mikhail Sergachev skates like he's in a rocking chair. He's just easy and smooth and cool and doesn't get stressed. And that's how he skated. That's how he played. And Sergachev and Rocky Thompson would have these great table tennis matches. Both are really good table tennis players. And I remember asking Rocky once, I said, who wins these? And he said, why don't you go ask him? This was after one of the skates. And I went and asked him. And all I saw was that smirk and that's all he would do. It was honestly freed. It was hilarious. And then when we saw that at the Anthem and you brought it up in the intermission, I'm like, I got to mention this on the podcast because I've seen that before. Nice. That's the table tennis question over the, uh, the epic ping pong battles with Rocky Thompson with the Windsor Spitfires. We should point out too, um, and I know goalies will always say, well, it went wide, uh, Cole Caulfield hit a post in that first period, too. Like, that could go to the first period all tied up at twos after, you know, uh, the Tampa Bay Lightning go up too early in this
0: one. I also, by the way, think that Cooper was really smart not to challenge. Well, uh, absolutely. Or else, and listen. The it, 2-1 goal we're talking, because first of all, I thought it was onside. And secondly, if he's wrong, it's 2-1 and Montreal gets the power play. And I, I it. bet you Cooper thought about that. Like, there's some challenges that have really blown up in people's faces this year. Montreal had one in the Toronto series. Toronto had one in the Montreal series. Cooper had one against the Islanders. I think he was just saying, unless it's so blatant, yeah. we're not even risking this.
1: A uh, second period was kind of like the first, uh, in a sense. Kucherov scores, uh, Tyler Johnson scores, more on him in a couple of moments, and then Nick Suzuki scores To end the period to keep that flicker of hope alive for the Montreal Canadiens. Well, they needed that. And how often has Nick Suzuki provided something that Canadians have needed in these playoffs? And in golf, you call it the announcer's curse. Here's the curse the other way Suzuki comes deep in his zone, gets his wheels going to the outside, and we've seen this shot be successful for Suzuki in these play-offs. Keeps his legs moving, disguises it
0: well, and that one slides
1: underneath. One thing in the second, I wanted to get your thoughts on. Did you think that Hedman should have been called when his stick got caught in Corey Perry's skates? It's a good question. Let me give you my theory. My answer is yes, and here's why. Corey Perry didn't go down, but if Corey Perry goes down in that situation, he probably draws a penalty. But in that situation, he shows quite obviously that he could have stayed up and he did stay up, that he didn't have to dive. And if he falls down, he probably grabs a penalty, but he didn't. If we're going to try to discourage players from not diving, like if you're Corey Perry and you're going back to the bench, what are you thinking? If that ever happens again, I'm going down and I'm drawing. And anyone watching that is going to say the same thing. Even if I can stand up, I'm not getting the call. But if I fall down with his stick, you know, tucked in my tuck, I'm getting the call. That's why I was hoping it would
0: be a call. I think that's a legit feeling. I understand that. I think that's, you know, I I think that's very well explained, Jeff, and I'm not going to debate you on that one.
1: What did you make of the second?
0: Even when they scored to make it four to two, I I never really thought Tampa was in trouble. I I know, I I think it was Kevin who actually started the intermission. And he said that if you're Tampa, you're, you know, you're annoyed, It, it casts a pall over it. I thought it was a big goal for Montreal, obviously, to make it four to two. But I never really felt Tampa was threatened at that point. I, you know, Vasilevsky was just disgusted by him at himself, and mm-hmm. I just always felt he was going to close the door. In the first period, yes, I thought there was a time where Montreal took over the game and threatened Tampa. But at that point, in, late in the second period, I just didn't feel that Montreal was going to have enough to come back and beat them.
1: So Kucherov scores, Johnson scores, Suzuki scores. We head to the third period. Tyler Johnson scores again to make it 5-2. Corey Perry makes it 5-3. Blake Coleman with the empty net goal. And there's your final. 6-3 is the final. Although Ben Schrott almost had one late there and uh, and got a pass on Andre Vasilevsky. Takeaways from this game. Park the the Kucherov conversation because I want to get there. But maybe for me, front and center, and I think for a lot of people as well, And a lot of guys on this team, starting with really Patrick Maroon, who went out of his way to talk about him, Tyler Johnson had an outstanding game for the Tampa Bay Lightning. And here's a guy who's had how many different hurdles placed in front of him, whether it's waivers, whether it's trade rumors, whether it's your contract's no good, we need to get rid of you to make our cap work here. And this guy never had boo-boo face, to my knowledge, the whole season. And here he is performing in game three.
0: You know, I had an agent send me a note tonight who said that he wonders if Tyler john it's going to be a lot easier for Tampa to move Johnson now.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: That someone's going to look at the way he's playing now and is going to say, he can help us.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Now, who knows where Tampa will be after this season and what they decide to do? But I thought that was a really interesting point—that a, a text from an agent, who's, and it, he, this agent is not does not have Johnson as a client, but he just said that they're going to be able to move him. Somebody's going to look at that guy and say he can help us. So I have a I have a a funny story too about Johnson. So I have a friend who lives down in the in the Florida area, the Tampa area. And his son's a Lightning fan. And, um, you know, he told me that he had a piece of memorabilia that was signed by Johnson. And he said, you'll love this. You can talk about it, but, you know, I, I can't send it to you. It's a piece of memorabilia signed by a whole bunch of Lightning who after they won the Stanley Cup last year. And Tyler Johnson knew he wasn't going to be back. And I said, well, I think everybody thought that. And he goes, no, no, no. I knew he wasn't going to be back. I said, well, how do you know? He goes, um, he signed it, Tyler Johnson, Tampa Bay Lightning, 2009 to 2020. And I go, oh, wow. Like that's, that's really a good story. I, I really like that story. Hmm. So I just double checked, you know, when was Johnson signed? Like he just, one of those things you just double check to make sure he signed in Tampa in 2011. So I was like, wait a sec. Why would it say 2009 or 2020 if he didn't sign until, like, did he know two years before he was going to sign that he was going to be a member of the Lightning? And, you know, the person said, oh, I think it says 2004 and 2020. And I said, those are the two years the Lightning won the Stanley Cup. So my buddy's like trying to feed me this story and it's completely wrong. (laughs) He,
1: I'll I'll tell you what, man, I I got all day for, uh, I think a lot of us do for Tyler Johnson. The undrafted player is always a great story. Fantastic. How many years did we talk about the triplets? Like it seems like a million years ago, but the triplets were a great story once upon a time. And, and he was a huge part of it. Okay. Hang on. Let's talk about the Montreal Canadiens. then. before we get to the
0: Nikita Kucherov conversation, your thoughts on the Habs right now? So a couple of things. Number one, Price has not been himself. And I know that my Price Con Smythe take from the Post Game 2 podcast went over like a lead balloon in some quarters. I saw some of the replies that I was, I was laughing pretty hard at them, but you know, he just doesn't look like himself. Uh, I thought Kelly did a really good job of talking about it uh, during the game. He's not playing the puck like normal in the first three rounds. A lot of the times there were just no rebounds and mm-hmm. he's, you know, there are rebounds. He just doesn't look comfortable. He looks really uncomfortable. I have to say when it was four to one, the first thing I looked at was the bench. To see if Jake Allen would stir it all or Ducharme would look in his direction and Allen never moved and I could see what Allen's doing he's not gonna he's not gonna disrespect his partner like that until he's told he's going in I actually thought he handled it really well you know when it's 4-2 you're keeping Price in at that point and I think obviously you're starting Price in game four but he looks really rough you know the other one was there was a lot of talk here like do they bring in Thomas Tatar do they make a switch on defense with Gustafson or anything like that? And I didn't think they should do it for game three, but I, I think you have to do something in game four. You know, we all knew Armia was coming back in if if he was ready. I think they got to try something a little different. Uh, I don't know which defenseman it is. I don't know which forward it maybe goes out, but I would try something a little bit different, whether it's Tatar or Romanov or whatever it is. I think you've got to try something else. The, the group is just not... Secure. It starts with the goaltender and it moves on down from there.
1: Nikita Kucherov, you talked yeah. plenty about him on, on television tonight, and we talked about him on the last podcast. And if it's going to be a Tampa Bay Lightning player that wins the Con Smythe Trophy, Uh, You were wondering about Braden Point or Nikita Kucherov.
0: Kucherov was... was, Or Vasilevsky. I think Vasilevsky is legit.
1: I threw Vasilevsky in there as well, but I tend to always defer to goaltenders in the playoffs for each. Fair. Like when it comes to Consumite, I'm I'm, I'm always... Front and center has got to be the goal. There was only one year where I really didn't have a goaltender in the conversation. That was 2010, but I don't think anybody did. It was like whichever goalie has the nerve to make a save first, that team is going to win the Stanley Cup. Nikita Kucherov, your thoughts right now. This has been, for the second playoff in a row, a remarkable, remarkable run for one of the best players in the league.
0: So let me just uh, explain to everybody uh, one of the things about the Consmith trophy voting. I don't remember the amount of voters. I think it's 18 or something like that. And the two teams that are in, they get extra. Uh, Voters, If there are enough, like for example, all the people who would cover Tampa Bay, they would get a a block of voters. People who cover Montreal, they get a block of voters. And then there would be some at large voters. And the way it works is whenever there is a clinching game, you must submit your ballot one, two and three with 10 minutes to play in regulation. And like for example, even if for example Montreal's winning five one with ten minutes to go in game four, you still have to submit your ballot. And you can do some things you know, for example, if a goalie completes a shutout, you can say move Vasilevsky up, or if the game is tied and this guy and, and can't choose between say point and Kucherov and you say, Well, if one of those two scores the overtime winner bump them up, you can do all this stuff. But You have to have your ballot in. We know we have to submit ballots with 10 minutes left in regulation on Monday night, no matter what the score is. And I think the way it's gone in the final, unfortunately, for Price, it's not going to be him, win or lose, Mm -hmm. at least at this point. But Kucherov, Vasilevsky, or point. I'm really going to have to sit down over the next 48 hours. I talked a lot about Kucherov. There are some people who really agree with my Kucherov take that it's an incredible accomplishment considering he didn't play a regular season game. There are some people who really disagree with it. We haven't seen anything like this since Mario Lemieux had a herniated disc and missed all but, I think, 26 games in 1991 and then had 44 points in 29 games in the playoffs. I think what Kucherov has done is a great accomplishment he's leading the playoff scoring by a significant margin he's the first back-to-back 30-point guy since Gretzky there are a lot of people who can't get past the cap situation they are so angry about the cap situation they can't get past it that's I don't feel that way if they weren't going to fix it after Kane in 2015 yeah they're not going to fix it but I'm gonna have to sit down between the three of them Do do you think that affects his votes I can't speak for anyone else. It won't affect my vote, right? But do
1: you think again? I'm not. I'm just saying a a gut feeling. Like, are there a number of voters so repulsed by the cap situation with Nikita Kucherov this year in Tampa that it would affect their vote?
0: Not that I know of. Like Nobody's told me that. Now, I have to check the list of voters, and I'd probably have to go through some of their previous work to see if they'd ever written anything on it. But nobody has said to me, and everybody knows I'm voting because I'm on a list, but nobody has said to me that they won't vote for Kucherov because of that. I wouldn't. That doesn't have any effect on me at all. It's remarkable.
1: Um, you remember the Vancouver draft, obviously. Mm-hmm. That was one of the more... That was one of the more interesting drafts for rumors at that draft was the first time.
0: Oh, and by the way, I should say, I think Kucherov is hurt. I think he has a rib injury. That is a problem. Courtesy
1: of Scott Mayfield. Yes. That Vancouver draft was interesting. Uh, that was one of the more rumor filled drafts. And there are all kinds of things we thought were going to happen. Tyson Berry was going to sign with the Vancouver Canucks. That was the first time I had caught wind. Maybe you knew it before, We heard about Neil for and man, Kucherov's name was everywhere, like all over the place with wild stories of humongous trades. Now, obviously none of them came to fruition, but normally you don't hear that about, you know, elite level superstar players, but I just remember, you know, remember flying back from that Vancouver draft and saying, wow, man, Kucherov's name was everywhere. Like every conversation had, hey, what's Tampa going to do here? Are they
0: really going to move Kucherov? Like, geez, I I never thought they were going to. I never did. Never,
1: even though I mean, you heard the name out there. I mean, that was huge on the floor. It's certainly on on the on the first night. What do you think happens next game? Do you have a gut on this one? Like the first
0: ten minutes, you suspect is all going to be Montreal. I don't know. I mean, they're such a machine. The Lightning. I feel that chris johnson should be tweeting that tampa bay is a juggernaut and maybe that will get montreal back in the series (laughs)
1: yeah
0: uh okay we have a lot to get to
1: today so that is game three a commanding three nothing series lead uh we all await now monday and game four a lot of news and notes plenty to get to a big signing in minnesota that's making headlines duncan keith Continues to make headlines as well, and LA and Nashville uh, consummate a trade. All of that's next. The 31 Thoughts The podcast kicks off. Welcome to the pod, presented by the GMC Sierra AT4. Okay, welcome back to the podcast, Uh, America alongside Friedman. Um, We want to keep these as tight and bright as possible. I know we get wordy. I believe Elliot refers to it as loquacious. So we'll keep this tight. Uh, Joel Erickson, an eight-year contract, $42 million, 5.25, is the AAV fourth in Selkie Trophy voting. And without players like Miko Koivu or Eric Stahl ahead of him, this guy really had a significant coming out party this year for Minnesota. Your thoughts on the deal and the player?
0: Well, I'm a big fan of the player. I I think it's a great signing for Minnesota, and I think he's going to be a huge part of what they try to do over the next few years. This has reshaped my thinking, Jeff. I didn't think we'd see too many eight-year deals, but I think what Ryan Nugent Hopkins has done is given the template for teams and agents to say, if players want to stay in their certain cities because they're happy there, the teams will give up term, and the players will give up AAV. Yeah. So I think we might see some more long-term deals with lower numbers. You know, when Nugent Hopkins deal, you know, someone said to me, "That's a good number." I had a couple people say to me, "That's a really good AAV for Edmonton," and they gave up the length. And you'll do that. You know, you'll, you'll take your chance on a player you know. And now, not long after he gets that deal done, Erickson Eck gets this deal done. And it's a number that Minnesota is going to be able to handle no problem. And the player's clearly happy and the team's clearly happy. And I wonder if we're going to see a, a couple more that look like this this particular offseason. He, he took a huge step there. He's mm-hmm. a really good and talented player. And I think you got to keep and reward your guys. And the Wild have done that here.
1: It's been a little bit painful getting there. There have been some scratches. There have been some demotions. But uh, honestly, I think this is proof that don't quit on a player just because he gets sent down to the American Hockey League or don't quit on a first round draft pick just because it takes him a couple of years uh, to get it at the NHL level.
0: Cock and Yemi, same guy. Like, you know, how many people said in Montreal bad pick, bad, bad pick, pick, No, bad pick? Yeah. It takes time.
1: A couple more thoughts on Minnesota quickly. Other deals still to to go. Kevin Fiala, Kirill Kaprizov.
0: Will these be easy? Will these be hard? What do you look for these? Well, Kevin Weeks already gave all Minnesota fans a heart attack. Heart attack. (laughs) You know? (laughs) You know, the same agent who represented Kaprizov, Paul Theofanis, he represented Weeks. So, you know, there's some intel there. I think at the end of the day, the Minnesota Wild believe that Kaprizov wants to be in Minnesota, Mm -hmm. and this is one where Minnesota is going to have to bend to the will of the player a little bit. I don't think he wants term. You know, Mike Russo, who's as plugged in there as you get, has reported that. I don't think he wants term. I think when you have a superstar cornerstone player like this one, you have to be willing to to bend a bit more to the player. And I think at the end of the day, the Wild may have to do some things here to get him signed. That's not their first choice, mm-hmm. but he's got the power and you have to deal with that.
1: The most exciting player Minnesota's had since Marion Gabrick. Uh,
0: Kevin Fiala, quick. Don't have as much intel of him. Switched agents, don't have as much intel on Fiala right now. Okay, um, switching to Los Angeles and Nashville. It
1: is Victor Arvidsson for a second and a third. The Kings need goals. And um, as you mentioned, I think a couple of podcasts ago, uh, Nashville looking to, quote, do some things. Many have looked at Victor Arvidsson, and the main thing that they look at is, man, he can't get the hospital bracelet off. He's been injured a lot the last couple of seasons, and that's hurt his production. Many have pointed to the Robert Bertuzzo hit as the beginning of it for him. That's true. Can you walk us through both sides of this? Why this works for Nashville? Why this works for LA.
0: Well, one of the things you talked about the injuries. There's no question that since that Bortuzzo hit and a couple of big ones Arvizins taken that, you know, it, it has hurt him uh, a, a little bit as as a player. No question about that. Nobody ever questions his heart, his effort, his, his willingness to compete, but he's been through some, you know, traumatic things body-wise that he's trying to overcome. I did understand that uh, the the medicals were kind of like one of the last things that had to get done. I think the Kings wanted to know exactly what they were dealing with here, but they were very interested in the player. They went hard after him. And, Mm -hmm. you know, one of the things I'd heard, um, Jeff, is that Arvidsson had asked for a trade. Nobody would admit that to me, but if you, you know, David Poyle made some comments after on the ESPN station in Nashville, 102.5, and I'm calling them out because I go on there every week, so I want to, you know, my broadcast partner's here. He made it sound pretty clear that Arvidsson and the team were ready for a divorce. You know, it's a shame. He embodied a lot of who the Predators were and what they were about. But, you know, as someone has said to me, I think there's a lot of players right now in teams that after this hard year, you know, there, there could be some breakups here and there. Um, I think Nashville takes a big run at signing Grandland. I think they might do some other things. Um, I thought it was really interesting to see Philip Forsberg with the thumbs down on Instagram after. Big time. You know that was a, that was a really close team that grew up together, and, and now they see the end. But unfortunately, Nashville, this group hit its peak, and they're going to make some changes. The other thing is, I think they were worried they're going to lose him for the expansion draft. And they wanted to reap the benefits, not let maybe Seattle flip them and reap the benefits. I'll tell you something else too about the Kings. The Kings are going at it this off season.
1: I was going to say, are, does this is this the indication that the rebuild is over?
0: Over. Yes. Our buddy, uh, John Davis, West Coast Hockey. Yeah. Um, You know, I told him that I was hearing they were going for going to get Arvidsson. And, you know, he, his reaction was, That's exactly what they need, and he wasn't the only person that responded that way. I'll tell you one other guy who I really wonder if the Kings are going to take a good, long look at, and that's Brandon Sod.
1: They've helped to shore up the right wing with Victor Arvidsson. See, I I look at this and I say we think of the Los Angeles Kings, we look at Ansi Kopitar, we look at Drew Doughty and we say, okay, there's some guys from the the Stanley cup era that are still there, but then there's a lot of kids as well. And now this is the beginning of, okay, we're ready to take that step. We're ready to win now. And I think they look around at their division and say, hold on a second here. We kind of have a shot at this one. You know, much like I think some teams that were in the North Division said, this is kind of a chance for us here. This might not be the strongest of all possible divisions. I think LA Kings are thinking about the exact same thing in theirs. So that shouldn't surprise anyone that they're going after some of the more high-priced help around the NHL,
0: some more veteran guys. That doesn't shock me a bit. Someone was saying to me they wouldn't be surprised if they're a player for Saad. Obviously, they're listening to what Drew Doughty has to say.
1: Duncan Keith and the situation there. Everyone at Edmonton has circled their own wagon and has said, essentially, we expect Duncan Keith to be an oiler next season. And everybody has their idea of what a return should be. Everyone has an idea of how much money Chicago should eat in this deal. I know that there's a million people with a million different opinions on it, but the one consistency is Duncan Keith appears to be headed to Edmonton from the conversations you've had, what can you glean so far?
0: I do think Edmonton is very much a player in this. I had heard Seattle was also a very big player in this and they made it clear that they wanted to be a big player in this. I had heard that Seattle kind of saw Keith as a guy who could be a great kind of veteran to build the group around and probably be their first captain. But, I don't think it's trending that way. I think we're going to see how if Chicago and Edmonton can grind their way there. One of the biggest problems is that Edmonton is not crazy about Keith at the full cap hit, even though the cash is way down Mm -hmm. and Chicago's whole plan for this is to create the room to go get a Seth Jones or a Dougie Hamilton. So they don't want to eat a lot of it or take money back That is going to ruin that plan. Like you know, you've heard it too. I think everybody believes that Chicago is saying we want Caleb Jones in this deal, so that it can help entice Seth to unite with his brother. But one of the biggest hurdles I've heard is both teams don't want to interfere with their cap situations. I will tell you this: I, I I've had some people who tell me they do think. It's most likely that Keith ends up in Edmonton, but there are some hurdles that have to get done and it's not a guarantee. What do you hear? I hear
1: that the uh, much like you that Edmonton is very much a, a favorite in this one, that Caleb Jones's name very much is in the conversation with this deal and like you, it sounds like it sounds like what Chicago wants to do here is unite Caleb and South Jones. Just like you mentioned, like that's the play here for Chicago.
0: And I have heard, although I haven't spoken to Seth Jones directly about it, I have heard that Chicago is one of the cities and teams that intrigues him.
1: Interesting. Um, you mentioned Seattle. I want to end on this one. Todd Lewicki, uh Seattle Kraken CEO, um, telling Ron Francis, ownership has given him the green light to spend to the cap. Should that surprise anyone?
0: No, but I don't believe that that is their plan. I'd be really surprised if they did that. I think Mm -hmm. the Kraken want maximum financial flexibility. And it's always good to have your ownership come out and say that. I would be surprised if that's what they chose to do. And before we say goodbye, I just want to say this. So on Thursday, Canada Day, I got on my first flight since coming home from the NHL general managers meetings in March of 2020, which was a week before the shutdown. And I can't remember the last game I attended. The last one I know I attended was the All-Star game in St. Louis, but there might have been another one after that. So this was probably my first game in about 17 months. And it's like you don't realize how much you miss something until it's gone. I really missed it, and I really loved it. And, uh, you know, to all of you out there who are hockey fans listening to this podcast, I hope you've had a chance uh, to go see a game and rekindle your love for the sport. Many of us in Canada are very similar to me that they still haven't. And hopefully we get to do it next year. And I hope it comes for all of you sooner rather than later, because uh, it was special to me. I really didn't care how the game ended. It was just great to be back in a rink and be among people. You know, we went for dinner last night as, as a group. Um, it was just great to do that. I hope every hockey fan, if you haven't already, I wish every hockey fan as soon as possible, the day they can go back and watch a game. Cause you walk in there and you realize, holy bleep, did I miss this? And did I need this?
1: You know, I'm, I'm curious about, was there one thing that you saw heard, smelled that you had maybe taken for granted until you experienced it. And then you said, man, I'm never going to take that for granted. Because for me, when I did that Montreal Vancouver game on hockey night this year, and that was my first, that was my first time in a rink since the top prospects game in Hamilton the year before. The first thing that struck me was the first time I heard, I get, you know what it's like, you walk into the building and you know you're close to the ice when you hear the puck hit the glass and there's that crack, that sound. And you're, you're, you're not there to see it. You only hear it sort of faintly in the distance. I don't want to get too like overly dramatic and poetic about it, but it's almost like a call. It's like, okay, follow that sound. That's where the hockey is. And that one really hit me hard. Like getting in the rink and hearing the puck hit the glass in warm up, that was a strong one for me. Was there one of those
0: moments for you? You know, there's a couple of things. So we left to the rink at, at four o'clock, and I walked with uh, Kevin and, and Dave, and you know, just seeing the fans out. Yeah, you know, by that time they were starting to, to claim their spots outside the the Bell Center. They were excited. Like, there were people clapping for Kevin. I was like, why are they clapping for you? You're not playing. But we were just <laughs> laughing about it and ripping each other. And, uh, you know, people were doing selfies, and we were just asking them to, like, stand in front of us. And we stood behind them a bit socially distant so they could take pictures. And, you know, it was nice to mingle out with about fans. Like, you know, the, and, you know just to smile and laugh. And, you know, we walked into the to the bell center and the security guy looked at Kevin and goes, your tan's not too bad. And we were just howling. (laughs) You know what it was? It was like, it was just being together with people and busting each other. You know, everybody out here, that was fun. And I just think that at the end of the day, it was just that feeling of being in the ring for the anthem, the player introductions, that anticipation and the electricity of a big game. I was caught up in it. I was like, this is a big game. I forgot that feel. It's
1: awesome. It's great. Glad you got to uh, to have the experience. That's amazing. I
0: hope everybody out there gets it soon if they haven't had it already. Amen. Uh, by the way,
1: we're dropping a uh, another podcast on Monday with a very special guest. Uh, this is one that we recorded earlier on this week. You will not want to miss it. Meanwhile... Taking us out, an indie folk band from Down Under who's been making music together for the last 15 years. Their 2014 album, Rucker's Hill, shook up the Australian music scene, but it was their follow up record that showcased the band's ability to stretch their sound. From their 2020 album, which was partly written at the Westbury Hotel, here's Husky with wristwatch on 31 Thoughts, the podcast. With my feet pulled down over your
0: eyes. In sleep, and my coat wrapped around you. Two times i watch you.